Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Welcome to Irish Tech News. I'm Sangeeta Waldron, and today I'm speaking with Dale Vince OBE, a green entrepreneur, where his work focuses on three key areas, energy, transport and food. In 1995, Dale launched Ectrocity, the world's first green energy company, which today powers around 200,000 homes and businesses across the UK with renewable energy from the wind and sun. Dale also owns Devil's Kitchen, which makes vegan school dinners, and his latest business, Sky Diamonds, create a lab-grown diamond from the wind, rain and sun. If that wasn't enough, Dale is chairman and owner of Forest Green Rovers, recognised by FIFA as the world's greenest football club, and became a United Nations climate champion in 2018. He launched his first book, Manifesto, in 2020, and is executive producer of the Next Flix original documentary, Sea Spiracy. Welcome, Dale. The increase of energy prices in the UK, have you seen more interest from customers interested in renewable energy? We have actually, and it's and it's not because it's cheaper, because um, you know, because it isn't. One of the great imponderables of our energy market is the fact that international global gas prices set the electricity price in Britain. <laughs> you know, with whichever the source. So it's not about price, but people are going. Do you know what? Um, you know, fossil fuels are causing this problem. I'd rather be with a green energy company. Yeah, and do you think now, you know, we had the IPCC report out on Monday saying that we really are running out of time and the and humanity is not prepared for climate change. Do you think that's also seeping into people's psyche? Do well, you... I, yeah, it's a bit soon. It only came out this week, but it is the third one this year. Yeah. And they've been saying the same thing for a very long time, to be fair. Uh, I think more generally, I would say, it is creeping into people's psyche, um, the whole climate crisis thing, for a number of reasons. I mean, I don't think most people even read the IPCC report, actually, and maybe even see a headline about it. But we've got the Just Stop Oil protest going on right now in Britain, starting to cause actual fuel shortages, which grabs people's attention. Obviously, you've got the war in Ukraine and stuff like that. Um, and people are suddenly hyper aware of where energy comes from and the fact that we're dependent on some you know, pretty despotic regimes uh, in the world, you know, the Middle East and Russia, uh, mm. even America to an extent, you know, for our oil and and, um, and gas. And, um, and that all helps, you know, it's a kind of um, <clears throat> combination of factors, really. We know there's a climate crisis and, and the energy that we've been relying on for decades, we can't rely on anymore. No, I mean, and you also said there, you know, the... I mean, this report only came out on Monday, but these kind of messages have been coming out for the last 20 odd years. And then we had COP26 
I think the fact that it's COP26 says it all. We should have solved some of these things at COP5. What what do you think were the positives of COP26, if at all there have been any? Uh, I They were small, but, you know, given we were the hosts and did no legwork uh, in the run-up and, and all that kind of stuff, they were probably quite big in context. Like, uh, I think... The, the annual review of uh, of national commitments to meet the target that was a big thing to you know to put that on the standing agenda uh, and there was one other kind of administrative type of thing uh, really about around the way the cops are run but both of them will bring an annual focus to, i think it was a, a commitment to, to getting off of fossil fuels actually i think it was the first time it was written as an outcome of a cop that we had to get off fossil fuels at some point obviously in the distant future with a <laughs> with a long transition and the use of carbon capture and storage. I'm kidding. I'm making that up. But that's what the fossil <laughs> fuel industry says, isn't it? That's the language mm. of politicians and oil companies. Yeah, yeah, we know we need to like fight the climate crisis. Just give us a few decades to use up what we've got. And, uh, and you know, the unicorn technology of carbon capture and storage. I mean, oh, my God, it, it, it just pops up everywhere. You know, people were telling me on the radio this week, Tory MP saying, oh, you know, we can... We can frack the countryside and we can uh, we can absorb the carbon emissions from the gas and put it back in the ground. <laughs> like, wow, <laughs> really? Obviously not. Yeah. No, I mean, you've touched on so many things that are going on in the in the world right now. And fossil fuels is one. Um, so it kind of leads me on very nicely to the next question is how do we make oil companies more accountable and make them align their businesses with climate targets we failed to now but how how can we do that uh, can we i think it's really i think it's really hard i mean one of the big things coming out of this ipcc report this week <clears throat> is the role of oil companies in obstructing policy towards net zero um a bunch of social scientists uh, did did the research and, and came up with you know uh, comprehensive evidence around that and it was taken out of the exec summary because that has to be signed off by all countries of the world and countries like Saudi Arabia objected uh, also objected to the language about giving up fossil fuels and and some of the lead authors on the IPCC document itself work in, in fossil fuel companies um, you know which is just just incredible so I think the real problem is that um, they're obstructing progress and uh, arguing against policies or watering them down, uh, you know, continually. It's, uh, it's well, they're, they're a massive vested interest. That's the problem. So, I don't, um, I don't think we should tolerate it. Actually, and, and maybe, just maybe, some of these legal actions around the world that are taking place to hold them accountable for the damage and the cost of the climate crisis. Just maybe that will become a big tobacco moment for them. Mm, so it's really very much for us to be the change as Gandhi said to make the change um yeah we have to take them on yeah we have to take them on because you've you've created something called zero carbonista where you where which I love which you say it isn't about giving up the things you love it's about making everyday changes um which are positive for the planet what simple changes would you suggest to anyone who's listening and someone who's new to the whole sort of eco-ethical movement? What kind of little changes could they be making? 
Yeah. So just to recap, um, my work has been in energy, transport and food, the three things where 80% of all of our personal carbon footprints come from. So it's about how we power our homes, how we travel and what we eat. And, uh, and the, um, the kind of outcome of my couple of decades doing this is the view that we don't have to give stuff up to live a, a zero carbon lifestyle. We just have to do things differently. So in energy, it's obviously about green energy, but also insulation. In transport, it's about the electrification of that. And we led the uh, electrification of the car industry in Britain uh, with, by building one 10 years ago. Um, and, uh, and in food, and this answers your question completely, mm. The, the biggest thing that anybody can do, just change what they eat. It's the quickest, the simplest, the cheapest. It's also good for your health directly and immediately uh, because animal agriculture is one of the biggest drivers of the climate crisis and one of the biggest parts of our own personal carbon footprints, and it's completely in our control. Uh, all of these three things are to a degree in our control. Uh, some of them require us to have more money than others, like a, an electric mm. car, for example, but they're all things we spend money on energy, transport and food, and our money decides which way the world goes around. I mean, you said something really interesting there um, and kind of relevant because everyone now is faced between the choice of do they heat their homes or how do they feed their family? And from what you're saying is a more of a plant-based diet is cheaper for a family. Would that be your thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, uh, a lot of the uh, vegan products in supermarkets are premium priced. That's starting to change. It's wrong because the ingredients are cheaper. Um, and, you know, it, 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 economically, it's, it's just more difficult, more expensive to make animal products than it is just to use plants rather than feed the plants to animals in order to feed it to us. It's a diminishing returns kind of uh, approach to food. So it should be cheaper. And if you uh, if you make your own food, you know, like... Uh, buy you know buy beans and pulses and that kind of stuff and and you cook then it's absolutely way cheaper if you buy in supermarkets at the moment it's on the cusp of a premium product still but coming down the co-op for example over here supermarket have pledged uh, to have no premium vegetarian or vegan products in the shop Uh, and that's where it should be you know it kind of also reminds me you know i think sometimes in the west we forget we have a lot to learn from the east because in countries like India, lentils or, you know, that's the the basic diet for a lot of people there who can't afford, they can't afford um, non-veg if they wanted to. So, mm. and it provides all the nutrition and it's cheap. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's right. That's right. I mean, it's a, it's a back to the future thing for us as well, because it, it used to be like that here in the West. You know, the the amount of meat and dairy that we eat now is off the charts compared to where it used to be. It's always been for rich people um, because it's expensive to make, uh, you know, to it's just it's biologically. It, yeah, well, yeah. And but to grow mm-hmm. an animal, you know, you've got to put so much plant protein into an animal uh, when we can eat that plant protein ourselves and you get the diminishing returns. In the case of a cow, it's the worst. Ten kilograms of plant protein in to get one kilogram of beef out um, makes no sense. That's why it's expensive. And you can understand that because, you know, it's a it's an animal body. It's it's inherently wasteful uh, biologically, you know, it, to, to run its own life support is, is using energy, using water and that kind of stuff um, and eating plants <laughs> that we can eat. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Um, I mean, everything you say kind of just dovetails into the next thing which is what I wanted to ask you is, and this is probably a very big question, 
What do you think is the next industrial revolution and the next phase for human development? Oh, well, it's, um, <clears throat> it's absolutely the green industrial revolution. And we have to give up two things. We have to give up fossil fuels and animal agriculture. It's all we have to do. It's driving all the crises of the world. The climate crisis, of course, is driven by fossil fuels, but it's also driven by animal agriculture. Um, and human health crises, there are, there are a number of them driven by both things again. We've got pollution from fossil fuels, killing people literally through the air that they breathe. And we've got our diets killing us and causing long-term chronic illnesses and all kinds of problems. And at the same time, <clears throat> our diets are wiping out wildlife on Earth. You know, we're facing the sixth great mass extinction. And, and that's because of our food choice. 80 billion animals on the planet every year are raised mostly indoors killed for food choice that we don't have to make in in britain it's one billion alone i mean you know one billion animals and we've got 60 million people here and farming and this makes the point perhaps farming takes up 75 percent of our country and of the land in the world um farming of animals and it's not that the animals are out on the land <clears throat> the land is being used to grow crops to feed the animals that are in sheds it's intensive agriculture and the the impacts of it are incredible profound wiping out wildlife driving the climate crisis and literally killing us. Oh, I mean, I hear you. Um, Cause I know also one of your, uh, one of the things that you also do is provide vegan meals in schools. Um, I mean, it, it's a whole shift in our thinking in the way we, it's our mindsets that need to change. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. You reminded me earlier when you talked about how great lentils are. One of the, uh, one of the expressions I sometimes use is, is to say that, like, you know, living this green life is, is not about lentils and sandals, though I love them both. <laughs> uh, but that's the myth, isn't it? That it's a life yeah. of denial. And, you know, in our work, we've shown that it isn't. So we started with green energy that's become a mainstream global business now. Uh, 25 years ago when we started, we were the first company to do it. Uh, the electrification of cars has been a real eye-opener to petrolhead drivers, you know, like thought they were milk floats or noddy cars. And, yeah. you know, now, you know, an, an electric car is so fun to drive. And then then, it, then diet, you know, food is, is the other thing. You know, this, this myth that we have to eat animals and if we don't, there's something missing. We've busted that open to a degree with Forest Green Rovers, you know, a vegan football club. Yeah. And coming off the back of that, we make um, school dinners. And I mean, but veganism has, has been on the rise for a couple of years now, big time in our country. And, and I don't know about the rest of the world, but, uh, you know, it's, it's exploded in popularity. I always remember, that, I mean, I've been a, a vegetarian for a long time. I've been vegan uh, for parts of my life. But I always remember there was, there was a time in the 90s when the vegan or the vegetarian had to raise their hand, you know, or if you walked into a restaurant, you were the awkward one. Um, yeah. Now, you know, it's socially accepted. And I think there is this, this shift, but it's been a long time coming. Yeah, I mean, you're right. <clears throat> I, I was in a pizza house the other day and uh, I couldn't see vegan pizza. So I just ordered a pizza without cheese, you know, which is actually also... Uh, something you can find in Italy is quite traditional, you know. That's so, right. Uh, yeah. Drenching them in cheese isn't normal. And the lady said to me, uh, "Oh, we've got vegan cheese if you want it." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay." Well, that's a bit of a shock. <laughs> I know it's right, incredible. You know, yeah, we've gone from being the awkward squad to to being, uh, you know, catered for. Yeah, literally. Or or being viewed as normal is another. Uh, um, 
Actually, yeah, she said to me, I'm vegan as well, she said. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's another thing. People kind of, it's like uh, they feel that they can admit it now. You don't have to be in hiding anymore. Um, 2021, we were all in lockdown. um, And a lot of us was, you know, were watching our Netflix. Seaspiracy was one of those things that kind of grabbed everyone's attention. And it was a talking point. So what's next for you, Dale? I mean, you are um, a kind of like a, 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 a superhero with everything that you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wear my pants inside my trousers. But <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> um, Film-wise, anyway, it's probably a bigger question than that, but I've got, I've got a film in mind. I've just started to talk to some filmmakers about that's uh, on the theme of uh, animal agriculture. It's a kind of origin story. I want to show where animals actually come from, not how we keep them. And in the case of seaspiracy, of course, how we you know, pillage the oceans. But there's cowspiracy, which is about intensive animal agriculture. I want to make, if you like, the third of the trilogy, which would be an origin story. Um, because it's an untold story how these animals are, are created in order to be, you know, eaten. Consumed, yeah. Yeah, um, and it's horrifying. Um, but other than that, you know, I think they're going into politics. I, um, I'm are you? Proud. Yeah, oh. I put out. <laughs> Go on. Go on, no. So no, tell me more. I'm really, I've, I, I think I'm hungry for a new breed of politician. And I think a lot of people are. Mm, I think so too. So last Friday, we put out an announcement. It was April Fool's Day, which we chose for fun. Uh, but it was a big announcement. Um, you still there? Yeah, I am. You oh, yeah. Can. Sorry, something interrupted my screen. Um, that I'm, that I'm going to sell Ecotricity or find a new owner for Ecotricity, somebody that can... Uh, Somebody that has the money for our pipeline of projects was one thing. We've got 2,000 megawatts that needs building. It needs, uh, well, nearly £2 billion. And, uh, and I just reached a place where I think if I pass EcoDisney on, it can do more. Um, that's the kind of scale we need to build that. And also, I could probably do more on a different frontier, uh, which is what I'm feeling like doing. And um, it looks to me like politics is the missing piece of our jigsaw puzzle. We've got the technology in terms of renewable energy, electrification of transport. We've got everything. We don't need technology in food. It's about going back to, uh, you know, a more basic uh, approach. And um, <clears throat> we've got the economics. <clears throat> it's, you know, it's, it's vastly cheaper to use renewable energy and electric cars are cheaper to run and, and plant-based food is cheaper. So, you know, economics are on our side. The people are on our side. But what we're missing are politicians and policies that can that can get us there you know especially here in britain we've got a joke of a government um says all the right things and then does all the wrong things you know with new coal mines and god knows what else in the face of our legally binding uh, zero carbon commitments next election i reckon is the most important of all of our lifetimes mm-hmm. we'll be halfway through the 10 years the u.s said we had to keep to one and a half degrees we've wasted the first half and uh, i think it's so important that we don't waste the second half so do you think you'll stand as an independent or you'll join the Green Party I, or something? Uh, I'm a member of the Labour Party. Um, I wouldn't stand as an independent. The realities of our system are that only two parties can form a government. And and there's no point being an independent MP, I think. I mean, we've got five years. The only chance is to be in government now uh, and to create the policies that we desperately need because policies at the moment stand in the way. They don't just not help 
renewable energy in this whole transition we have to make. They impede and they help the old way of doing things, the fossil fuels and animal farming. We could change all that. It's, it's about taxes and subsidies and regulations. You know, governments are in control of those and they create the markets. And right now, our market is completely orientated the wrong way. So it wouldn't be a big or difficult change to make and it would be uh, transformative. Well, do you know, I think there are lots of people like me just waiting for you, Dale to make that move into politics I mean as you were speaking I got goosebumps because I think we are we need a different kind of politician now and um, you know the 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 planet is waiting the planet's waiting for you with us (laughs) to make that change Um, because I don't know what um, what the future holds for the next generation that's the worry isn't it you know we're we're just squandering the opportunity that we have to deal with this problem. And we have all of the tools in terms of technology and economics uh, and even public opinion. You know, this week, our government put out a survey that showed 80% of people support onshore wind. And then they put out an energy policy that doesn't have onshore wind in it because they say it's unpopular. There's no joined up thinking um, oh. at all. Um, no. It's all short termism. It's all about internal party squabbles. You know, there's a pro fracking group, there's an anti wind group, you know, and um, and lots of u-turns along the way <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah dale it's been a real pleasure uh chatting with you and uh some really hot you know some uplifting moments the the main one being that you're thinking of going into politics i think is is great so thank you so much for your time for this podcast oh, that's my pleasure thank you enjoyed the chat thanks i really do Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.